Welcome to Yard and Design, a podcast on educating professionals and beginners alike on relevant topics in agriculture, food policy, and food systems. My name is Samantha Brala, and I'm a Master of Environmental Studies candidate concentrating in urban landscape design at the University of Pennsylvania. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing technology and food production, um, not the type of technology that you might be thinking of, like large uh, tractors and things like this, but technology on a much smaller scale, uh, namely genetic modification. We've briefly discussed GM, uh, people that are proponents for it, people that are critics of it, you know, where where should we stand on that? Um because there's a little bit probably from both sides, um, of course, and that's a common theme in these episodes. But I really like this one article from the New York Times, uh, published in 2013, so surely a little outdated, but I think the ideas uh, still remain relevant, uh, published by uh, Joe Robinson, and it's called Breeding the Nutrition Out of Our Food. This article was introduced, uh, introduced to me in a course uh, during my candidacy at the University of Pennsylvania, and I just found it so interesting, and it's something that really stuck with me. And so there's something um, really powerful about some of the information in here, and I think it's wonderful that we all uh, learn about it. So the article begins by saying, we like the idea that food can be the answer to our ills, that if we eat nutritious foods, we don't need medicine or supplements. Surely that statement is not (laughs) really... I would say um, true or accurate. There are obviously people that claim that yes, uh, changing my diet completely, you know, fixed all my ills. Um, yes, diet can of course help with some of these things, but modern medicine can also be useful. So, um, you know, not being too extreme here. Um, not that the author is necessarily proposing that nutritious foods uh, will completely eliminate need for medicine or supplements, but as you see later in the article, does propose that our food has become less nutritious and has become a lot more absent of uh, phytonutrients. Um, Phytonutrients are these compounds um, with potential to reduce the risk of four of our modern scourges, cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and dementia. And so the more uh, phytonutrients you have in a food, uh, essentially the better it is for you. And it kind of reduces the need to have supplements. Um, But it's a powerful first statement, surely, um, and surely loaded as well. And so the, you know, the article continues, it says, We have valued this notion for a long, long time. The Greek physician Hippocrates proclaimed nearly 2,500 years ago, Let food be thy medicine, and medicine be thy food. Today, medical experts concur. If we heap our plates with fruits and vegetables, they tell us we will come closer to optimum health. So then Robinson continues by saying, the health directive needs to be revised. If we want to get maximum health benefits from fruits and vegetables, we must choose the right varieties. This is something having worked in food systems, um, I would agree with because even something like the common banana or tomato or whatever you consider, Um, varieties. There can be hundreds if not thousands of varieties of something and the nutritional content in them changes and that's why things taste different. Not only, yes, if you're growing it yourself, certainly absent of chemicals, it's going to taste different. But if you have different varieties, something can taste sour, something can taste sweet, something can taste bland, it really depends. Like, there's not just one type of cherry. We have like a commercialized cherry But you also have things like Barbados cherry that you can grow, which is a completely different taste. So it's just very um, 
interesting shortly. So things like that, I certainly would agree with choosing the right varieties. Um, okay. And so Robinson continues by saying that studies published within the last 15 years show that much of our produce is relatively low in phytonutrients, which we already uh, discussed, and saying here that the loss of these beneficial nutrients did not begin 500 or 800 years ago, as many assume, obviously because we have been um, really modernizing and industrializing our food system, so that's where a lot of assumption would come from, but unwittingly, uh, we have been stripping phytonutrients from our diet since we stopped foraging wild plants some 10,000 years ago and became farmers, which is really interesting. Uh, foraging is really cool too. Foraging is different than harvesting. So harvesting, you can harvest anything. It's like the act of actually taking that um, food or plant, I guess, from like the ground. Like that's what you're harvesting. Like I'm harvesting a tomato foraging and usually it's in a system where there is some type of human intervention so like you can harvest your yield from your farm that's kind of an example of it foraging is like in the wild like there's not human intervention someone is not there um you know manipulating the landscape essentially it's just wild and foraging is really cool because you can forage a lot of awesome things you can obviously depending on where you live but where I live, um, where I'm from originally, I have foraged things like salt, I've foraged wild blueberries, I have foraged uh, rosemary, mint, the list really does go on and on and on. These are just a few examples of the things that I've foraged, but then I've also harvested like hundreds of different plant species, like edible plant species. So foraging is really cool. Um, it's a really cool skill that certainly not many people have today and I can uh, definitely see how that would cause kind of that drop in phytonutrients um, especially as we be have began farming but of course uh, Robinson notes that's not um, in the recent you know 50 or 100 years as many people assume it's really going uh, dating back to 10,000 years ago. Um, so it's really interesting. The insights from this have been made possible by new technology, and that's allowed research researchers to compare this phytonutrient content of wild plants with the produce in our supermarket. So it is backed with some studies, um, and the results of these studies are quite startling. So, for example, dandelions, uh, which is um, was once a springtime treat for Native Americans, um, has seven times more phytonutrients than spinach, and spinach is something that we consider a superfood. That's really interesting. Um, so it's almost like eat a dandelion instead of like spinach or something like that. Um, you can do like dan, yeah, dandelion actually I have seen in recipes. Um, similarly, a purple potato native to Peru has 28 times more cancer fighting um, anthocyanins than common russet potatoes. One species of apple has a staggering 100 times more phytonutrients than the golden delicious displayed in our supermarket. So I think that's really interesting and certainly lends to the idea of choosing the right varieties. I also think something that when I was first reading this article um, really made me think of is the idea of being more creative with food and not being scared to try new things. Like I think to me, trying to incorporate a dandelion into my diet sounds really fun and cool and something that would really excite me. Um, and that is because I've worked in food systems where I have grown my own food. I have become more open to trying things and trying new recipes like making moringa. Moringa is also considered um, a superfood. Moringa oleifera is the Latin name. And, you know, 
when you're uh, discussing plants, you should always use the Latin name, not a common name, because you can have one plant with, uh, you can have several plants with the same common name. So Moringa oleifera is the uh, species that I'm referring to here. But you can make like Moringa uh, pesto and things like that. And you can, you know, use it with basil that you grow. Really cool things. That's not like a common store basil. And it tastes way better than any type of pesto that you can buy in the grocery store. That's for sure. Um, but it's something that you kind of have to open your mentality to. You have to learn how to interact in that system and be more open to trying these new things. Like if dandelions were something that were really common in the grocery store, then, you know, maybe spinach would be like the outlier. People would be like, well, what's that thing? Um, so it's really about changing mentality uh, with some of these uh, recipes and the things that we see. Having people develop the knowledge of where food comes from and understanding that you know strawberries are not like a year-round thing understanding seasons understanding how food systems work um, because a lot of people do not understand that they don't know where food comes from and um, of course part of the theme in this podcast series is to educate about that um, but as we talk about this I think that's really interesting and <laughs> um, you know even think with yourself I mean when I said something like that you know eating a dandelion instead of spinach I mean where do you go where you're like yeah that's really interesting or you like that would never happen I would just never do that because I think it lends certainly into the idea of what we've been taught and exposed to so anyway uh, a little bit back to the article here uh, Robinson continues by noting you know were the people who forage for these wild foods healthier than we are today they did not live nearly as long as we do but growing evidence suggests that they were much less likely to die from degenerative diseases even the minority who lived 70 years and more the primary cause of death for most adults according to anthropologists was injury and infections we do know that so that's really interesting um we can take the idea of corn and so um the idea of sweet corn really illustrates both of these trends the wild ancestor of our present day corn is a grassy plant called uh, teosinte it is hard to see the family resemblance uh, teosinte is a, a bushy plant with short spikes of grain instead of ears and each spike has only five to twelve kernels the kernels are encased in shells so dense you'd need a hammer to crack them open once you extract the kernels you wonder why you bothered the dried tidbit of food is a lot of starch and little sugar teosinte has 10 times more protein than the corn we eat today but it was not soft or sweet enough to tempt our ancestors so what ended up happening is when european colonists first arrived in north america they came upon what they called indian corn john winthrop jr uh, governor of the colony of connecticut in the mid 1600s observed that american indians grew corn with great variety of colors citing red yellow blue olive color and greenish and some very black and some of intermediate degrees a few centuries later we would learn that black red and blue corn is rich in anthocyanins anthocyanins have the potential to fight cancer calm inflammation lower cholesterol and blood pressure protect protect the aging brain and reduce the risk of obesity diabetes and cardiovascular disease which certainly um, more americans are facing today european settlers were content with this colorful corn until the summer of 1779 when they found something uh, more delectable this yellow variety was sweeter and more tender kernels this unusual variety came to light that year after george washington ordered a scorched earth campaign against iroquois tribes while the militia was destroying the food caches of the iroquois and burning their crops soldiers came across a field of extra sweet yellow corn according to one account a lieutenant named richard bangle 
or Bagnol, sorry, took home seeds to share with others. Our old-fashioned sweet corn is a direct descendant of the spoils of war. That is also a very, um, I think, interesting story and certainly lends to the idea, one, of environmental justice, to the idea um, that, again, where our food comes from, the history of it, really important. Um, and also a little bit of the culture behind it, certainly, that many people do not know. Um, and something that I certainly did not know until reading this article as well. So, um, you know, we've reduced the nutrients and increased the sugar and starch content of hundreds of other fruits and vegetables. How can we begin to recoup the losses? Uh, what I really like here is that Robinson now notes some suggestions to get you started. Um, the first one being select corn with the deep yellow kernels. To recapture the lost anthocyanins and beta carotene, cook with blue, red, or purple cornmeal, which is available in some supermarkets and on the internet. Make a stack of blue cornmeal pancakes for Sunday breakfast and top with maple syrup. I am going to comment one thing here because nothing that I, um, I do like to critique, of course, the things that um, I present, some of these readings and... Um, peer-reviewed journal articles because nothing is perfect. While I really like a lot of what Robinson uh, comments and educates on, you know, it's very unrealistic to say, hey, just start making, you know, these blue cornmeal pancakes. Yes, of course, you know, expose yourself to new things, but this is not something that's like readily available. Like in the case of Moringa Pesto, that is something that I grew. I could walk to the plant from where I lived at that time in my life. So it was very easy to harvest. Um, you know, some supermarkets and especially on the internet, that's very, um, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of resources that are going into it, especially with the internet, I would just like to say. You know, in terms of your own health, this is not an article on environmental um environmental good doing okay that's not what the purpose of this article necessarily is but when you consider having something shipped from the internet like you're you know purchasing it now you're having food miles associated with that so although i like the suggestion i don't think there was malice in that suggestion also think about some of that because one of the ideas um, is to think locally. So if you're able to find maybe a local grocery store or something that has blue or red uh, or purple cornmeal, then yes, why not try it, right? That sounds really cool. But if it's something that's inaccessible to you, if any of these suggestions or anything that you research um, is inaccessible to you, look for one or two things that are accessible to you. You know, something that isn't going to necessarily require these food miles or a really high markup cost. I think that's really important too. Like, I would never necessarily substitute um, pancakes with blue cornmeal pancakes if it's something I need to like order that cornmeal on the internet, just because I know the association of energy and um, transportation that you know evidently releases emissions. Um, so I wouldn't do that. But again, I had access to Moringa. So I started making Moringa protein pancakes and I would use cocoa powder and I would grind Moringa and have, um, you have to dry it first. And then after a few days, you're able to grind the uh, leaves, but I would grind, grind the leaves and then add that to my pancakes. And I would eat like green pancakes, but they were like delicious protein pancakes. And I would still use maple syrup and it was awesome. And I exposed a lot of my friends to it and they really liked it. Um, so also with these suggestions, take it with a grain of salt, no pun intended, but think about what works for you and localized solutions that work for you in terms of increasing that type of phytonutrient content. 
right? Because part of this idea is learning um, not only about the food that's available to you and these systems, of course, and how they work, um, but also, you know, questioning, um, especially in the case of this article, the nutritional content and, um, you know, alternatives you know, instead of spinach, you're right, I'm sure there's a better alternative than spinach too, although spinach, uh, I personally do love. Uh, Now, Robinson also notes, in the lettuce section, look for arugula. I'm also going to comment here just really quickly. Arugula is so much better if you grow it yourself. I've had arugula from grocery stores. It tastes like nothing. tastes like water to me, personally. Um, I've grown arugula and it is strong. Okay, you have like a few leaves and it really packs a punch. So another idea, right, maybe growing some of these wild herbs at home, even if you live in a city, um, I live in a larger city now, you can still have little herb boxes. I, you know, have some, you can hang off like areas in your kitchen and they're really tiny. You can buy the herbs really cheap too. For, you know, maybe $2 for a plant. Again, local would be better. Um, and then you have it. You know, you're growing it yourself and you don't have to rely on the grocery store, which one, can be really expensive. Two, probably also does not have those phytonutrients that you need if you're still getting it at the grocery store. Like, arugula at the grocery store is not going to be better than lettuce at the grocery store. So I think that's also something that this article kind of misses. Um, as well, the idea that if you're buying organic, We've discussed it. Organic does not equal natural. Please do not think that. But anyway, uh, you know, Robinson does suggest, look, you know, replace arugula. I think there was a little, um, there was something missing here in terms of what I just explained. That's better to grow it instead of just uh, replace that at the grocery store. It's not going to be any better than the lettuce. But um, scallions are another wonderful example. So scallions or green onions are jewels of nutrition hiding in plain sight. Uh, they resemble wild onions and are just as good for you. I do cook with scallions a lot and I do think they also pack a punch and I really um, like scallions, but really cool if you can grow it yourself. And again, you don't necessarily need land for this. Like if you do live in a city, you don't have access to land. These are uh, really small um, uh, species that you can grow yourself uh, at home. Um, so as well, experiment with using large quantities of mild tasting fresh, fresh herbs. This includes things like um, herb burgers where you're adding parsley and basil to a pound of ground beef uh, or plant-based beef and herbs bring back those missing phytonutrients and they add a touch of that wild flavor as well. Again, better if you grow it yourself or you're able to forage it. Foraging would be really cool. I would love that to be a skill that people start to develop again because I do think it's awesome. Although of course you have to be um, mindful with anything, um, you know, in terms of foraging it, you know, making sure that you're not taking too much and you're doing it um, in a way that's not harming the uh, plant. But foraging is really cool. Like again, like there were times where I would uh, want rosemary sprigs and if I knew I was going to be foraging that week, I would just wait because you could um, forage it yourself, which is really cool. Same with um, salt, like you can put salt on cocoa plum. Those were two things that I foraged and that was like a really fun snack. Um, not to diverge, but uh, the article ends by noting, in fact, I've interviewed USDA plant breeders who have spent a decade or more developing a new variety of pear or carrot without once measuring its nutritional content. We can't increase the health benefits of our produce if we don't know which nutrients it contains. Ultimately, we need more than an um, admonition to eat a greater quantity of fruits and vegetables. We need more fruits and vegetables that have the nutrients we require for optimum health. And certainly I would agree with that. And it is a little scary to think that um, 
breeders are focusing on these new varieties, but they're not focusing on the nutritional content. Um, yeah, th that certainly, you know, is an issue. And so, um, that is really going to be it for today's episode. I hope you're able to take away some, um, you know, ideas from this. You're able to critically think about not only where your food is coming from, but what is the nutritional value of it. Um, and also understand that the best thing is growing some of these things yourself. It doesn't have to be everything, but just replacing a few things. Like we're talking about these wild herbs, replace some of those herbs with plants you're able to grow yourself. Um, and again, if you're going to source it locally, just because something is local also doesn't mean it's chemical free um, or natural by any means. But when you're buying those plants, learn about the methods that they um, were grown under so that you're bringing home something, you know, um, ideally chemical free in, into your home. You're able to grow that plant and then you can use those wild herbs. I'm sure they will taste far more delicious um, and have more of those phytonutrients that are really um, lacking in the food that is in our grocery store. And also uh, when you are doing research and you're learning about these things, critically thinking about the material not necessarily falling victim to just you know blatantly reading and taking everything at face value again that's really the point of this is to educate um and for example that being you know well robinson noted instead of getting lettuce at the grocery store get that arugula the arugula is gonna, <laughs> gonna taste way different than wild arugula would just because it's in the grocery store doesn't mean it's wild um either in fact it, it certainly is not so just thinking about some of that, I, I still overall really liked the article, but did not think it was perfect. And so I just wanted to point those things out to um, hopefully aid you in developing some of those critical thinking skills with uh, the things that are published because um, nothing is perfect and you really need to develop those skills and, and learn what's best for you. So um, yeah, do you think you'll be trying uh, blue cornmeal pancakes? Let me know. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode helped further educate you on this uh, topic and provide a reliable source of information to question quick headlines and participate in respectful discourse on a subject that affects us all. Until next time, Yardners.